book of Genesis chapter 2. And uh, we're going to just read uh, beginning in verse 18. Before I do that, I want to kind of float a question out to you, which will kind of betray the direction that we're going to be going this morning in our discussion. Uh, Here's the question I want to ask you. What are the greatest gifts, apart from the gospel, okay, what are the greatest gifts that we give to our children? Okay, just let that kind of settle in on your mind for a second. Apart from the gospel of God, what are the greatest gifts that parents give to their children? I I was going to do this and kind of let you respond out loud, but I got nervous, so... I lack the faith, okay? So let me, let me take a shot at this, all right? Uh, and, and the list is not in any degree of order, okay? One of the gifts that we give them on a pretty regular basis is food, shelter, and clothing, right? And it, it is natural for a parent, that there's this instinctive reaction when a child comes into your life to want to care for them and cover them and protect them uh, and provide for their, if you will, their basic needs, and for teens, I realize that food is the highest priority, okay? More than infection, okay? The other gifts we give our kids, we give them affection, we give them discipline, we give them an understanding of what love is, we give them boundaries and protection, guidance and wisdom, we give them training in righteousness, we give them financial support. And the truth, I think, for most of us is this. Most of us will give our children whatever we are able to give them that we believe at one level will benefit them. Okay, sometimes we don't have everything we want to give to our kids. We'd like to give them more, okay? But I think every parent, at some level, there's an inclination to do that. Now, I realize that. I realize we live in a broken world also, okay? So I I understand that I'm using every in in, in kind of a, a dynamic sense, Okay, it's not that every parent on the planet does by their children what they ought to do. We know that's not true. Okay, if you've watched the news over the last couple weeks, you have been horrified by the things that parents are capable of. But in general, there is a predisposition, I believe, apart from our sinfulness and brokenness, there is a predisposition to want to give them the very best. Now, here's the clarifying question to the first question. Okay, what's the greatest gift I can give my child? All right, and I think you will find the answer in the second question, then I'll draw to this point towards the end. All right, what is the greatest gift that God aims to give your child apart from the gospel? Okay, what is the greatest gift that God gave your children? Okay, and the answer to that question should drive us in our daily life as married people. I want us to look at Genesis 2 to lay out a couple foundational truths, and then I'm going to go into just three observations that I want to make about parenting, about motherhood, about fatherhood from the Word of God this morning. So Genesis 2, verse 18. Here's what the Bible says. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And every woman said, amen. (laughs) Dangerous alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Okay, now, what do you find? You find that creation 
of mankind, creation of, of animal kind, and then man exercising dominion over creation. Okay, that God has put us in a place where we are to manage and steward the resources of this planet that God has given. And if you think about it, if you ask yourself this question, what species is most or best suited to maximizing the resources of the planet? Okay, which creature gets the most out of the world at large? Okay, I think it's one of the greatest arguments for the sovereignty of God in the creation of the world. Okay, it is obvious that humanity maximizes the potential of planet Earth better than any creature. Okay, and that's what Genesis 1 is saying. God tells me, go out and subdue, exercise control, dominion over the planet. But as God tells him that, he brings him through a process of exercising that dominion in a way that causes him to see a need in his own life. And it's the first time in the order of creation and the order of the New Testament that things are spoken of in a negative way. Attention rises. Genesis 1.31, summary of everything that God had made, he looks at it and he says, it is very good. But when you come to Genesis 2 and verse 18, you find this, I don't know, you can call it a sense of disappointment or incompleteness was the idea. The Lord said it is not good for man to be alone. So he leads him through a discussion of naming the animals. And at the end of verse 20, it says, But for Adam, after naming all the animals and seeing their counterparts, there was no suitable helper found for him. Okay, it's the first negative statement in the Old Testament. Okay, no helper suitable, no one to bring completeness into the relationships in the context of humanity. Okay, so the foundational truths that emerge from Genesis 2, 18 down through verse 25 are something like this, okay? <clears throat> in creation order and in creating woman for man, what is God doing? God is providing a partnership. Male and female joined together to maximize the enjoyment of life by God's design. Okay, so God's solution to the need that he allows Adam to experience is what? It's not children. It is a woman. It is a wife. Who, <clears throat> Adam, when he sees her, he says, This now is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. What did he realize? He realized that taken from his side in God's providential wisdom, God had showed to Adam that she was like him and yet different. They were male and female, but they were part of the same human race. And so there is this idea of partnership that emerges. <clears throat> Verse 24 tells us this. It, it says, after Adam exclaims about his joy in his wife and exercises an understanding of what this all is all about, Verse 24, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Okay, so what's going on? There's partnership that, that is exposed. In light of that understanding of partnership, what does Adam do? He cleaves to his wife. The idea of the word is literally, he becomes glued to her in an intimate relationship. Okay, that ultimately is pictured in the physical act of marriage. But it is a picture of oneness, a picture of unity that is existent, here's the key, prior to children. Okay, so there is this partnership and there is this Intimacy, 
that forms the closest human relationship. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus quotes this exact text. Here's what he says. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. So what's the mathematic equation? One plus one equals one. All right, that's the design. That's why at a, at a wedding, what happens? It's a miracle. Two people come in, one walks out. All right, that's the divine, sovereign picture of marriage to produce an understanding of intimacy forming the closest human relationship. Okay, now what does that mean? Here's what that means. It means your relationship with your mates should be stronger. Well, I'm going to sound like a heretic now. Your relationship with your mate should be stronger than your relationship with your children. Now, is it easy to discern? No, okay? The difference, the distinction. But I believe it is fundamentally true from Scripture. That your marital relationship, in terms of priority, comes first. And I'll explain why I believe that is true in a little bit. So there's intimacy, and the last thing that we find is that there is permanence. And that permanence is what Jesus emphasizes after he quotes Genesis 2.24. Here's what he says. He says, and you hear this sometimes in weddings. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one what? Put asunder. Let no one tear apart or break the marriage relationship by God's design is to be an unbreakable relationship characterized by partnership, by intimacy, and by permanence. Okay, that's, that's the divine blueprint that God gives to us from the beginning. One woman, one man, intimately connected for life. Now, here's what's said. All right, there, there is an understandable glory to that. Okay, it's very difficult to find someone on the planet who doesn't, when they see a strong marriage, at some level desire that blessing in their life. Why? Because there is something beautiful and glorious and attractive and dynamic about it that makes you want that. Do most of us experience it? No, because of our brokenness, we don't. And we don't fight for it and we don't prioritize it and make it the most important relationship in our lives. We live in a culture in which the home is under attack via weak commitment, via divorce, via cohabitation, via outright rejection and attempts to redefine. That's the world that we live in. It, it, is, it is scuttling and confusing the nature of this relationship that God created at the beginning. Here's the question I want to work on. What principles do we learn from the beginning, from the original design? What what kind of, if you will, road markers does God lay out that guide us in our relationships in the context of our homes? Okay, and, and in this, I wanna, I'm going to shift now from the discussion about, about husband-wife relationships to parental relationships. Okay, the child-parent connection, and then I'm going to come back to the oneness of marriage. Okay, so here's three observations I want to make for you real quick this morning. Number one, based on Genesis 1 and 2. The Bible's outlook on children is decidedly positive. Okay? The, the view of Scripture in relationship to children is that they, from God, are a blessing. So if you look in Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28, what's the text say? 
Watch, watch what it says. It says, so God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That's what we call the creation mandate. Okay, this is the will of God for people. Now, the words be fruitful and multiply, do they sound to you depressing or encouraging? Negative or positive? Okay, I, I, we planted our garden, my wife and I, a few weeks ago. My wife did more of the work in the garden than I did. And what are we waiting for? We're waiting for fruit. Believe me, we don't go out there and do that stuff just to watch things grow without fruit. Okay, the, the, the pleasure of sowing seeds is that seeds are sown how? In hope, there's a, there's a joy that comes with the harvest. And the same thing is true in the context of the home. The coming of children into a home, it, it doesn't diminish the joy of the home, it heightens the joy of the home. Okay, and that's the idea here. Psalm 127, verses 3 and 5. Here's what God says. Children are a gift from the Lord. Offspring is a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Okay, and I could go on and read you other passages. I could take you to the gospel of, of Mark this morning, chapter 10, where the disciples are saying, hey, don't bother Jesus with the children. Jesus rebukes them and says, let the children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. There is this decidedly positive outlook on children in Scripture. And that should be the attitude that we as Christians have towards children that God brings into our lives. Now, there is a common feeling in Western cultures in busy, affluent Western cultures. Children tend to be seen, and this is a broad statement, okay? I don't mean it as condemning, but I believe that it is at many levels true. Children are often seen as an interruption. Pregnancy, parenting, and early childbearing is seen as an inconvenience or burden rather than something that we embrace and enjoy. And I think as the church, we have to resist that tendency to see the blessings that God pours into our life, this positive outlook, as something that becomes a burden and an inconvenience. The result is that these blessings of pregnancy, parenting, and early child rearing, the result is that they're not valued, they're, they're not, excuse me, valued and cherished. Okay? Our children an interruption. Yeah, are they always convenient? No, okay? They're not. But they are a decided blessing from God that He pours into our life to enjoy. And I want to ask you this question this morning. Is your outlook on children, whether you have them or not, is your outlook on them a positive outlook? In spite of the demands, in spite of the cost, those things will test you. But the outlook of Scripture on children is decidedly positive. Secondly, we can make this observation. Your home is to be the primary source of influence, shaping influence on your child's life. Okay? And back to Genesis 127 and 28. God tells a mom and a dad to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. Okay, so it's in that setting that God places children. In Ephesians 6, 4 
says, bring your children up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Which means what? It means the parents stand between their children and God for a time, for a season in their life. They lead them to God. They express God to them. They teach them about God. All right? They have a, a role as a primary influencer in the life of their children. It is where God places children for the purpose of fulfilling, I believe, Matthew 28. It is where we as parents make disciples. Where we teach our children biblical truth and where we model for them. Biblical values, biblical relationships, those sorts of things are part of what we are called to do by God. Now, Ken Hughes reflects on this issue of the influence of parents in the life of their children. He makes this observation. He says, we live in a world that tends to applaud the person who designs a building more than we do the parent who attends to the architecture of a child's soul. Okay? I haven't thought about that. And that's true. We live in a culture that tends to value other accomplishments above what God so highly values. Okay, God put children in the context of our homes, in our lives, so that we could have a decidedly strong influence on their lives. And so we should be glad for a day like Mother's Day when we take time to reflect on, to think about the blessings and benefits that mom brings to her children and, and encourage moms to resist the tendency to see it as an interruption or an inconvenience, to realize that shaping the character of a child is in the eyes of God exceedingly valuable and important. It's part of the original design. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul reflects on the influence of women in Timothy's life, one of his premier disciples. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I am mindful of your earnest faith. Where did Timothy get his faith? Well, if you study through the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, you'll find that Timothy's father was an unbeliever. He had a mom and a grandmother who fought for his spiritual life. And the result was, Paul could say, I am mindful of your sincere faith that you received from your grandmother and your mother. So that, that in a case where, where only one was kind of pulling the rope, Paul could see the decided difference that devoted parents made in the life of, of Timothy. Now here's the blessing, ladies. And I, I found this, I think, to be somewhat universally true. Proverbs 31, 28 says, Of a woman who pours herself into the lives of her children, her children will rise up and call her blessed. But that's a, a reward, a blessing that God pours into their life and into their experience. And it is one of the most beautiful things, I think, that a mom can receive from her children. Is, Mom, thank you. I bet it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's stronger than any paycheck, stronger than any bonus, stronger than any accolade is to say, you know what? Thank you for sacrificing for our benefit and pouring your life into ours. If you're here this morning and you're single, okay, you're not married, I want to encourage you to do something. Find a man or a woman who believes these very fundamental truths. And when you find them, marry them. Okay? Because they are a treasure. Find someone who believes in the biblical foundation, in the biblical model of what a home is to be and why it is so precious. 
One who believes that these are God-given values. If you're a single parent, or you're in a mixed home where, where maybe both don't have the same belief system, be faithful. Honor God. I have watched this over and over and over again. Where the seeds that are sown, a lot of times the fruit isn't evident initially. But eventually the seeds pop and they grow. And there's a harvest of righteousness for the glory of God. And young people, if you have parents who believe that you matter, who believe that your instruction is valuable, who believe that their influence in your life comes first along with God, I understand this, okay? Thank God for parents like that, who love you and are pouring their lives into you. Mom and dad, you, by God's design, are the primary shaping influence in their life. And here's how I believe we function as parents. I believe we function in the place of God till that child is able to encounter God in their own experience. That's how important the role of influence is. Don't underestimate it. Don't undervalue it. Don't trade it for other things. There's... In terms of nurture, this is what your children need. It's what our children need. We teach them about God's grace. We give them a burden for the world. And we pass on the blessing of godly character to our children. And men, I want to say this to you this morning. Our wives have often carried too much of this responsibility. Okay? Because of careers, because of hobbies, because of... A lot of different things, distractions. Uh, one of the best gifts you can give your wife is to start to step up and take responsibility for the shaping of your children's lives. Enter into this relationship as partners in permanence, giving stability, being an influence on the life of your children. It's the design of God. Last question I want to ask then and answer this morning is this. What is the greatest gift that a parent can give their child? What do we learn from Genesis 2.24 that helps us to answer this question. Okay? This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. What's the greatest gift that you can give your children? I think the answer to that question is the greatest gift you can give your kids is the gift that God gave them through you. What God gave your children was a home. And that home was made up of a mom and a dad. All right, that is the original blueprint. That is God's design for what he believes is best for your children. So the greatest gift I can give is a home that is devoted first to God and then to our marriage relationship, which means what? Here's what it means. All right, it means that children should come with a warning label. All right, a tattoo, okay? To offend all of us who don't like tattoos, okay? A tattoo that says, children can be detrimental to your marriage. Okay, now that's heresy. Why? Because I live in a culture that values strong parenting more than it values strong marriages because they don't understand the original design. When you understand the original plan of God, you understand that the best gift you can give your child is a strong marital relationship. And when children become disruptive to the marital relationship, they become detrimental. 
Is it their fault? No. Okay. Let me give you an illustration of this. I'm going to ask my wife and Jessica to come up here real quick. Jessica is home from college, by the way. All right. Okay, let, let me just illustrate it to you in this way, okay? Before Jessica. <laughs> All right? This is the way it was. Well, actually, three times before that, okay? We had three kids. Okay, what happens in most relationships? This, God says that is the primary, most important picture that he gives us. And I'm going to tell you what it points to ultimately, okay? But he says that relationship is the most important human relationship on the planet. It is the foundation and building block of every strong culture. When you destroy marriage, you destroy the culture. Okay, now what happens for most parents? Beautiful little Jesse comes into their life, and what do they do? Here's what most parents do. <laughs> and they oogle at her, right? We, we, oh, she's so, okay. That's what happens. What did you just do? You just destroyed the original design. Okay? And the world will applaud you. Good job. You're such a good parent. And you love that. Why? Because parenting, this isn't in my notes, this is a stretch. Parenting is easier than marriage. Your kids give you all kinds of, why do we do this? Because there's a lot of needs. There's a lot of wants. And it feels good. And your children love you and they give you accolades so quickly, right? You guys can sit down. It, it, it feels right and it looks right, but it's wrong. Okay? And you're going to have to wrestle with this and say, how do you get the balance? You've got to find the balance. Did my wife and I always have that balance? No. Talk to our daughters. They'll tell you that balance has not always been there. Okay? You have to fight for this. You first have to be convicted that child-centered parenting is not the biblical model. And you may need to go to God. You may need to go to your mates. And say, I have allowed our children to be a detrimental influence in our marriage. They have become the most important thing to me. And they should not be. By God's design, your mate, mom and dad, is to be your highest priority. Children are a temporary addition to your home. Okay? And some of you are saying... I can only hope. Okay? They are time. What I mean is this. They become part of that family, but they don't enter into the one flesh aspect of the relationship. All right? The one flesh, permanent, glued, intimate partnership is you and your wife or you and your husband. Okay? That is the nucleus of your family. And without it, your child will be devastated. So don't introduce them into the middle of your relationship in the picture. They come alongside and they are to be loved. I love our children. I love God's idea of parenting. I love it. I'm sad that it's over in some ways. Okay, but, but I, just, I, I just want to impress this upon you. They are a temporary addition, and one day they will leave. They are not part of the one flesh picture. Therefore, the most important human relationship in your child's life is not your relationship with them. It is your relationship with God and your spouse. 
And sometimes we need to, we need to shake the table. And some things are going to spill and it's going to get messy and it's going to be hard to get it back together. But sometimes we have to readjust our lives around biblical priorities and I believe this is one. This is not to say that children are unimportant. But they are less important. If you can even make the distinction. They're less important than your marital relationship. Folks, your children need to know that you're okay. And when you're not, it is not loving to them. And when you put them in the middle because things aren't good between you and your mate, you are not doing your children a favor. You are using them for affection and love. God wants you to find your primary affection and love in your relationship with Him and in your relationship with your mate. And when you seek that, the children that are put into that relationship, into that home, will be deeply blessed. And you have to fight for that value and for that blessing. Your spiritual and marital health is vital to the health of your children. Now, <clears throat> that means the best gift I can give to my children is the devotion, is devotion to Christ-like love of my mate. It's why in Ephesians 5, Paul says to the church, husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. And you could ask yourself, why? And I believe this is the answer. Because the greatness of marriage, the, the joy, the glory of the marital relationship points to a greater glory. Okay, and this is the key to understanding why the marital relationship is so important to your kids. Because it is a picture of a greater relationship and of a greater marriage. So in Ephesians 5, verse 31, Paul says, quoting now from Genesis 2, again, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. Is it that much of a mystery to you? They're joined together. They become one flesh in, in that physical sense and in an actual sense. It doesn't seem to be a mystery, but here's what Paul's saying. It points to a greater truth. So twice in the New Testament, and there are a couple of other times, this foundational blueprint, a man leaving father or mother, joining to his wife, becoming one flesh, nuclear family. The way that God met Adam's need was he brought him a wife who was a complement suitable to him, and they enjoyed intimacy and life together. This is a profound mystery, this intimacy, this love, this selfless giving of one another to one another. But Paul says, I am talking about Christ and the church so that a husband's love for his wife is to be Christ-like love. Selfless and sacrificial. It should look like how Jesus treats the church. And so when a mom and dad say to their children, you are valuable and you are vital to this home and we love you and we'll do everything we can for you except allow you to divide our marital relationship or weaken it or be detrimental to it. Why? Because the husband-wife relationship, deeply committed love at an unconditional level, a covenant love is a picture of the covenant that Jesus Christ makes with His children and with His bride, the church. 
Marital love is to be a picture of Christ's sacrificial love for the church. That will require sacrifice and very hard work. It's not easy to be a godly husband. It's expensive. It's costly. It's why many men jettison the task. And what do we substitute for loving our mates? You know what we substitute for it? Staying with them. Living in the same house while not pursuing intimacy and partnership and permanence. We settle for the permanence and think that that is the same as partnership and intimacy. And we sell our kids short. And we, in some ways, distort or alter or edit the picture that marriage is meant to paint. What it's meant to portray. And that is when a husband selflessly is loving his wife in a sacrificial way. He looks like Jesus. And that's why God says, men, love your wives like Christ loves the church. And when you love her, what are you doing? You are giving your children what they really need. Dads, can I make an interesting observation from Scripture? You were never told to love your kids. You were never commanded to love your children. But you were commanded to love your wife. Why? Any man who loves his wife loves his kids. It's pretty easy. Do you believe it? you're looking for a mate, I would say to you, take these basic principles. I'll give you a copy of these notes. Take these basic principles, find someone who believes them to be true and foundational and vital and important. And you will give your children the best shot that you can give them. Now, can a child grow up in a really good home and turn out wrong? Yes, it happens. But I would beg of every parent, give your children the best shot you can give them. It's not a guarantee, but it does give a predisposition. It does give them a hope that other kids don't have. If their mom and dad think that the most important thing in their child's life is their marital relationship. Do your children know that you love your mate? Hmm. Not do you think you do. Do they? Does your mate think that you love them? All right, these are questions that kind of dig at your heart. And I want to say this. It is never too late to start. Okay? Some people say, you know, I've never heard that before. Right? Well, blame me if you've been here for a while. Okay? Seriously. Okay? But understand this. It is never too late to get off the wrong path and get on the right path. I still watch my parents. They're funny, they're quirky in their relationship. They're partners who enjoy a degree of intimacy and I know they're together for good. And that helps. The greatest gift you can give your kids is that you love them like Christ loves them. And you, in that love, introduce them to a greater love. See, if you talk about the love of Christ while not practicing it, it 
doesn't make sense. If a hateful person shares Jesus, it, believe me, it's a wash. It's a wash. Marital love is a covenantal love that pictures the covenantal love of Jesus for the church. A covenant is different than a contract. I explain this to people in premarital counseling. Okay, when you get married, if you're not getting married for life, I'm not doing your ceremony. It's a covenant. A covenant stays intact whether people keep the obligations or not. It is a permanent commitment. A contract is based on terms. You keep your part, then I'll keep my part. I'll meet you in the middle. Marriage is a covenant of unconditional love and commitment to seek to meet the needs of another in spite of the cost. And that is what Christ has done for every rebel in this room. See, on the cross, what did Jesus do? He loved you and gave himself up for you. As your great high priest, he interceded for you. And when you trust in him by saving faith, redeeming faith with repentance, he changes your heart and he draws you into a covenant. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And every mom and dad who through thick and thin lived that kind of love say to their kids over and over, Jesus loves you like this. And we come to the Lord's table this morning to remember that on the cross, Jesus Christ took my offense, my sin, the ugliness of my rebellion upon himself and offered to you and to me this morning a gracious gift, the gift of forgiveness and a permanent covenant of love. Would you bow your heads with me?